Today, we bring you audio from the Embracing Autism IRL video podcast series. Welcome to Embracing Autism IRL. In this video series, we interview guests from a variety of backgrounds who are all linked together through autism. From advocates to therapists to parents and autistic adults, this series will take a well-rounded approach to sharing diverse perspectives on autism spectrum disorder. Our guests are encouraged to speak freely and be their authentic selves when discussing controversial yet critical topics in the autism community. If you'd like to watch the full unedited video of our interview-style podcast spinoff, Embracing Autism IRL, please subscribe to our YouTube channel of the same name and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. New episodes release monthly. So without further ado, here is Nate Hallquist. Hi, everyone. Um, Welcome back to another episode of Embracing Autism IRL. Today's guest is Nate Hallquist. And Nate is a 48-year-old primary stay-at-home dad of three amazing kids. He's a Navy veteran, computer geek, music lover, trivia host, and budding neurodivergent advocate. Nate loves working with his hands on cars and bicycles and figuring out how things work. And interestingly, in the past 18 months, Nate has actually gone through a journey of self-discovery where he's recently learning that he's both ADHD and autistic. As part of this process, Nate is learning as much as possible about these diagnoses and as well about himself. Today, he joins us to share his experience of self-discovery thus far. So welcome, Nate, and thank you so much for coming to Embracing Autism IRL. How are you today? I'm I'm doing well. It's been a little chaotic because it's a weekend, but um, thank you for having me on. I, I hope your day is going well. Yeah, it's it's going okay. You know, I've got like two toddlers, and so that's always chaotic. And they're both autistic, so that adds a lot of fun to the mix. But <laughs> as fun as it can be, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you can relate because I think. Oh, oh yeah. Your kids are neurodiverse as well, correct? We're positive about our son. Uh, my kids are nine, seven, and six. And um, we know our son is ADHD. We think that he might have some um, autistic tendencies. Uh, We're in the process of getting our seven-year-old daughter uh, tested for ADHD right now. And um, our youngest, I don't mean to sound flippant, but we're not sure what to think about her right now. Uh, She's very clever, very smart, very all over the place. And we're just waiting to see if, if we think she needs to be tested as well. She has the attention span of the most amazing attention. She picks up on everything, whether you think she's listening or not. <laughs> That's the opposite of my youngest. My youngest is so hard. I'm pretty sure she's going to have ADHD, but we haven't been able to diagnose because she's too young. Yeah. Let's go ahead and start off with just having you tell me a little bit about yourself. You said a good amount there at the beginning. Over the past 18 months, I've been learning a lot about myself and it wasn't just the pandemic. It wasn't just having the kids home all the time because of distance learning. We also had my in-laws living with us for 14 out of 19 months. And no matter how good a person is, that's just too long. (laughs) And so I I never really had any kind of self-care breaks and I didn't really know how to take them at the time either. But with all of that going on, I just reached a point that my brain couldn't take it anymore. My wife and I have been together for 13 years. And for almost since the beginning, she's told me things like, oh, you're ADD. She jokes that I'm ADHD without the H. And she always said that I was on the spectrum. She's a kindergarten teacher. And so she's used to seeing especially kids with autism. And I never took it really seriously. I always thought she was just sort of sort of pet naming type of thing where she's like, oh, look, you're cute. Oh, look, you have a little like these little spectrum tendencies or ADHD. And I'm like, well, I've been successful for this long. Why is this a big deal? And I never thought it really was until I got diagnosed with ADHD. And then 
it's like my world opened up. I started learning just so much about myself and realizing that my brain could work better. But as I was doing that, there was a lot that occurred to me that, hey, if my ADHD meds are working and they're, they're working well, why am I still having these other things? And it just started making sense uh, as I learned more about autism, especially late diagnosed autism. It was like reading an owner's manual about my own brain. Nothing had ever made sense to me more than that did. Everything just opened up like, oh my God, I'm not just weird. Like this, this mm-hmm. stuff is real. There are other people like me out there. This, this is written down. Like this is, this is my life written down in front of me. What point in life did you find out? Uh, I got diagnosed with ADHD about a year and a half ago. So February of 2021. I don't know how you function because I I didn't get my diagnosis until right before college. And I got it because I was having such a hard time surviving in high school and everything. And um, had I not gotten that, I don't think there's any way I could have like really survived in college after that. So I'm impressed uh, that you flew under the radar for so long. I, the way I the way I've been saying it, and I think this this makes a lot of sense to me, at least I say that I was all always able to portray normal enough to not be obvious, to not be obviously neurodivergent, but I was always weird enough to not be taken seriously. I mentioned this to my therapist, I think it was last week, that I said, I learned at a young age that I can take shortcuts to get to where I'm expected to be. And I I think I'm awful at masking. I think I am absolutely just mind-blowingly terrible at it. But I was always able to convince myself, and I I know now that it was at the expense of my own self-care that I could take these shortcuts to get to where I needed to be. And all it ever did was just leave me drained and frustrated. Sorry, I was just going to ask no, you, go ahead. you, you mentioned masking. Can you like um, let our audience know what that means? I feel like I'm really terrible at it because I've been telling people about that my autism diagnosis and my ADHD and, and a, a, a huge portion of people are like, oh yeah, I figured that out. I'm like, then why didn't anybody ever tell me? But um, masking is it seems like the people who are better at it uh, consciously do it. They try to pick up on social cues and expectations in society of how to compose themselves and how to act more neurotypical. So the, the tics and the, the fidgeting and the, the rocking back and forth, which I tend to do kind of a lot. Some people have issues with punctuality, whether it's they hate to be, you know, hate to be early or hate to be late or whatever or routines and schedules and things like that. Like there's little things that I've learned that people have a a real problem with. And masking is sort of forgetting your, what you normally do and what you're normally comfortable with and trying to exist as a neurotypical in a neurotypical society when that's not how your brain works. Leads me to ask you then, how do you think that autism was impacting your everyday life, especially if you weren't able to mask? It always made me feel out of place pretty much everywhere I went. I'm one of the people that I think I, pr- I do really well with schedules and routine, but the schedule and routine frustrates me sometimes too, because whenever I get out of that schedule or routine, it's really hard for me to sort of contain myself. And not that I go, go wild, uh, but it's, it's hard to, to find where I'm supposed to be or how I'm supposed to be doing something. And for a long time, I, I really did. I, I think just subconsciously, I, I realized I should have been trying to mask. But 
all that ever did was make me feel more out of place. Like I, I wasn't being myself and I couldn't be myself. Did you find other ways of self-accommodating or did you just authentically, like 100% authentically yourself? Uh, that's kind of funny because that's, that's sort of about the time I met my wife. And I had always just wondered why some of the things I did, whether I thought they were funny or interesting or clever or even smart or anything like that was always met with people just kind of staring at me like, like, why did you say that? It, it wasn't like turning a switch, but I made kind of a conscious decision of, okay, if I'm, if I'm just going to be quiet and keep to myself and people are going to think I'm weird. And if I open my mouth and say what's on my mind and people are still going to think I'm weird, then why don't I just say what's on my mind? Why don't I just do it? I'm going to tell you a little story about something my wife used to say about me, which at the time it was kind of funny. I hated it from the start, but everybody else thought it was funny. So I just sort of ignored it and went along. She said I was a social Kanye, social Kanye West when around the time that Kanye West interrupted Taylor Swift. He says, I'm going to let you finish, but here's this random topic. (laughs) And so she would call me social Kanye and I despised that nickname. I hated it so much, but Everybody else thought it was funny, and I hate to admit it, but it kind of fit. So I was like, ah, "Fine, I'll, 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 I'll say my piece." And if everybody, you know, are, is wondering like, "Why are you doing that?" I'll be like, "Cool, I'm out. I'll see you." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, though. I mean, I, I think that she was poking a little fun, but it's kind of adorable too. You got your own nickname. <laughs> it is, and I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of Kanye West. That's, That's I think why that, it's that funny, was though, a, right? That yeah, makes it more that, funny. <laughs> that was a. That, I think that was a big part of it, but. Um, it just, it made me feel very self-conscious. I don't mind feeling self-conscious if it's sort of like a, like a personal thing, but when someone else is going like, oh, look, you're like that jerk on TV who, oh. who did that thing. And I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. Especially if it's public, I can see yeah. how that would be really. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that you had told me prior to the show that you're kind of like in this um, self-discovery process. As part of this, there's kind of the term of self-diagnosis that came up. And so I wanted to ask some questions about the diagnosis process for you and just your thoughts on everything. So have you actually pursued diagnosis for autism? And if so, what barriers have you faced, if any, while you were trying to seek a diagnosis? I currently am. I I started in about four months ago, I started the actual process of being officially diagnosed. For about three or four months before that is when I started really thinking to myself and out loud to others. I've I've done, I'm a a giant geek as far as I I get on a topic. This is like my, my, my special interest, they call it a lot, is right now my special interest is pretty much autism. I, I want to know as much as possible, especially just about myself. I went through a lot of it sort of internally. And when I started telling some other people, like I, I texted a friend of mine and I said, I think I might be autistic. And her response back was, so? <laughs> I was like, that's a great response. Like either, either it's just not a big deal to her or maybe she already kind of realized it. And I was the, the last person to the party. But that's cool. And I, I told my wife, and, and I, to quote her, she goes, God, finally. <laughs> so she was on this way before you were. She's like, I oh, can't yeah. wait till he figures this out. I'm like, 30 yeah. steps ahead. <laughs> and so 
And um, I, I've, I've told her before, I said, it, it's awesome that you recognize what autistic is, what autism is. I said, but I told her, I said, but you have no idea how this feels. Mm-hmm. Like This is so eye-opening and amazing and also frustrating because since I've been on this and, and starting to understand how my brain works, especially throughout my entire life, being pushing almost 50 years old, my brain keeps going back and I say that it is repairing my memories of a lot of things I never understood as mm-hmm. I've been going through life that all of a sudden I can look back and go like, oh my God, whether it's good that I missed something or bad or just a lot of things that didn't go quite like I thought they should is because I didn't even know what I should have been assuming, what I should have been expecting because I wasn't fully engaged in my own head. Yeah, that I mean, that happens a lot. It's kind of part of that self-discovery where things start to suddenly make sense and become clear. Back in the past, like I know before I had like my diagnoses, I was always like, well, I must just be dumb or I must just not get it. And then you find out like, oh, wait a minute. It's just like, I need things phrased in a certain way or done a certain way, or I need more structure or this or that. So I, I definitely see how that kind of requires you to kind of dig back in your memories and reprocess them because you might not really have remembered things, how they actually were happening. I, I've, I said that it's, it's like um, watching that old movie that you might've seen when you were a kid. And it's got those lines or that humor or something where as an adult, you watch it and you go like, yes. oh, I, I, and it's not just a throwaway line. It's not just something where it's a, it's a, it's a adult themed joke where to kids not getting it, it, it doesn't deal with the movie at all, but it's one of those things where it's a line. And as an, as a kid, you might go, okay, I don't understand. But as an adult, you go like, oh, that's why they did that. That's why the, the, this thing ended up the way it did is because I didn't understand it before. That's a really great example, actually. That's right on the nose. That's exactly how it feels. Have you found that while you were seeking a diagnosis, did you find that that was easy to do? Or was it really difficult to find mm. someone to even take a look at you at this stage in life? Because a lot of times they just focus on children and it's a lot harder for adults. Mm-hmm. I, I just realized that you asked that before and I forgot I didn't even answer it. So I'm sorry. You're fine. Um, I, I first was talking to my, uh, my VA therapist who helped me get the ADHD diagnosis. And she basically preliminarily said that, yes, I'm probably autistic. But she also said that the VA considers autism a childhood diagnosis. Mm. And I was just like, really? I, I, how can you narrow it down that much when you, you you probably have so many military people with you know complex issues going on in their own head whether it's PTSD or you know late diagnosis of these things or something and, and just go oh well that's a childhood diagnosis well I'm not a kid but I can still have it um but it was really difficult for a, a little while I think I got lucky finding the therapist I did but there's a lot of therapists out there who don't have any availability right now, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, there's even fewer that will work with an adult on late diagnosis of autism. And even then, if it doesn't work in your health insurance, uh, I got got sent to another website where it said that, oh, well, we do the you know, the diagnosis of autism and things like that. But it was like $6,000 to get the testing done. 
who just carries around $6,000 to do this? Oh, hey, I've got this little, you know, vanity project. It felt like, like this little, this thing of, hey, I want to know if I'm autistic. And for a while, until I actually started with this therapy, I, I was going like, well, I guess it's not that important to get diagnosed. If I have to spend $6,000 to possibly get diagnosed, then I don't know if that's worth it. The therapist I found is, is absolutely astounding. Luckily, she works with my, with my insurance, and she's also currently going through the, the certification to officially diagnose autism. And so I'm, I'm just like, oh, my heart, this is, this is better than I could have imagined. You and got so really lucky. <laughs> I got ex- astoundingly lucky. But I know that it's very, very, very difficult to, to find this stuff. I just, it just happened to work out that way for me. I think that oftentimes what I hear from people is, like you said, there's usually a really big, hefty financial barrier. I think the cheapest I've seen is like maybe like $800 cash, not able to use insurance. And then they range to like $10,000 along with the financial aspect of it. What do you think are some possible ways to create more accessibility to autism diagnoses for adults? To put it really simply, I think people just need to listen better. Some of the worst part of this for me is it, it, it's the best and the worst. Like going on Facebook and social media, I've found so much information on autism that I, I, I've never thought it was that deep. I, I, for a long time, I was one of those people that thought like, okay, well, there's, there's high functioning and then there's like nonverbal low functioning or Asperger's or type one, two, and three. I know they don't use those anymore, but it's really a spectrum. Everybody's just so different. But with that difference, there's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on. There's a lot of people who say that, oh, well, we don't support self-diagnosis. And I'm, I'm like, well, why not? It, who's going to know me better than I know myself? Yes, people can ask me questions like, well, do you do this? Do you do that? Do you have this at impact? Do you not have that impact? And I can say yes or no. It's like, okay, well, I, I'll use the terms where it's like, okay, well, maybe I'm not as high functioning as this person, but I'm also lower functioning than this other person. So it's this, this crazy balance. And for people to just go, oh, well, if you're not officially diagnosed, then you're not autistic. Well, what if I am? And it, it's the, the kind of infighting and the people taking everything personally and saying, well, that's not autism. I'm like, well, it may not be for you, but it is for these other people. It is for me. Why, why are you arguing about this? Why can't we try to just listen to each other and learn something? And that it involves the doctors and the therapists too, because say, oh, well, you, it, it's something that you said earlier. I know you didn't mean it poorly, but you go like, well, I've made it this far. Well, that doesn't mean it hasn't been a struggle. Like I've, I've been fighting against myself for the past 48 years. And now I can actually see why I do these things. So you mentioned the term self-diagnosis. What does that mean to you? To me, personally, it just means that it wasn't somebody else just telling me that I was autistic. It's something that I have learned. It's something that I have looked into and discovered about myself. My wife has basically told me that I'm probably autistic. And more or less, I didn't believe her and it, just because I didn't understand. But now that I've found out more, I, I can't stop finding out more. Everything about this makes sense. This is like the first time in my life where it's actually made sense. 
you said that you are usually online and you definitely have seen the arguments for and against the validity of a self-diagnosis. I have seen that there are a lot of people who say that, you know, self-diagnosis is not valid and that essentially even medical physicians who are experts in their field are not allowed to or would not dare to diagnose themselves. So what would you say in response to individuals who make that argument against self-diagnosis? The unfortunate thing is, is that simply put, they're also right. That someone like me may be right, that I do have autism, but I have not been officially diagnosed. So that makes the doubters, so to speak, 100% correct, that they will look in that go and, and, and they would say, well, you're not autistic. Well, for now, yes. But they also, a lot of people say that it is underdiagnosed. And there are a lot of people out there who could have and probably should have been diagnosed earlier in life. So what's the harm in understanding that someone got there a different way than they did? That, that's kind of where I go. It's like, whether it's suspected autism or self-diagnosed or whatever, I, I don't see that as a bad thing that someone got there them, themselves, especially with all the information that's out there right now. Because even if someone is self-diagnosed, then they can still learn. And even if someone was diagnosed at six and they're now 35, you can still learn. You can still listen to other people and say, well, yeah, you have all of the right ideas and you, you, you seem a lot like me, but you may not have $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 laying around to go, to go to a doctor and take all these tests and say, well, I want to know. And that's where I say, like, I think people should just listen better. People should try to understand that we're not all the same, but we all have the same condition. And I, I don't mm -hmm. want to say like diagnosis or illness or deficit or something like it's we're all have a commonality here. Like neurological wiring. <laughs> yeah. And that, that well, was one of the things I found out is like, it was like, oh my God, that there, there are other people like me out there. This is incredible. Yeah. So I guess I'm a little bit confused on terms of where you stand then in terms of the language, because it does seem on one hand, you're saying, you know, self-diagnosis is valid. At the other side, it sounds like you're also kind of saying it's the same thing as saying suspected autistic. I'm not sure exactly. So I was just wondering, because there's been arguments made that sometimes it's considered more appropriate to say, I am suspected autistic rather than saying self-diagnosed. So do you think there's a meaning? difference between those two terms? Do you think it's just semantics? Do they mean the same thing? Are they different? To, to me, suspected sounds a bit more like someone telling you that you're suspected. Like if, if it were my parents back when I was, you know, a child going, oh, well, little Nathan there is suspected autistic. I feel like I grew up in the wrong generation to be easily seen as this because I was just always the tag kid. I was talented and gifted. I was special. I was different. I, I needed special accommodations in order to learn the same way other kids did. But it was never explained to me why. I, I just, I thought that I wasn't some like super self-aware uberkind or something, but I thought everybody went through these things. I thought everybody had these little, these little quirks and learning experiences that they had to go through that maybe they didn't understand. And I'm sure some people do, but to go through everything I did, I realized now I'm like, oh my God, my friends weren't just like me. I, I wasn't just like them. That I needed some of these things because, probably because I was autistic. And to me, that's suspected. Whereas self-diagnosis, I think, is something 
more that happens in adulthood where you really, you get frustrated with the world and you try to figure out why, why am I different? Why, why is this not make sense to me? Why don't I fit in? Why, why do I feel like I'm just so unique, but, and not, not in always a good way, but just that's self diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Like an alien observing the world, but not quite part of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right on the notes. Like (laughs) I, 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 the way I've said it is, is a lot like that. It's like I was watching the world without truly experiencing it because I didn't know how mm-hmm. I, I was trying to do my best, but my best was never correct. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say correct because well, then that implies that the neurodiverse brain is incorrect, but I, I get what you're saying. That's just correct. <laughs> correct to me. Correct. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't interact with the world the way that I felt like I should. Right. Like something's felt off, you yes. know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally relate to that. That's exactly what I went through growing up. What would you say if you could give any piece of advice to other people who may be going down a similar path that you've been going down, where they're just now starting to discover that they might be autistic, or they're starting to kind of dabble into looking into that as a possible explanation for their life experience? I've had this experience with actually some some friends of mine who have have come to me and said, thank you for posting all this stuff, all this information that you find on your personal Facebook and on your, you know, your page and things like that. And, And my advice to them is keep going. You're going to have doubts. You're going to have imposter syndrome. You're going to think that you've got something wrong just because something you read or something you feel or something you see or some someone you meet or something you hear doesn't apply to you. That doesn't mean that you're on the wrong path. Keep going. Keep finding out more. If this makes sense to you, if this is something that feels real in your core, then keep going. Don't doubt it for a second. Find out more. Find out as much as you possibly can and see how you're affected by it and how you can improve yourself. And that's one of the things that I I want to do for this is that I want to show my kids that no matter how old I am, I am improving myself. I want to be a better, not just be a better person, but I want to understand myself better. I want to be the best person that I can be, not only for for my family, my wife, my kids, but myself. Yeah, absolutely. I think that once you become a parent, like things become in a new perspective because anything that we might struggle with just genetically, there's chances they might struggle with as they grow up too. So Mm -hmm. I fall into that too, where I'm like, I want to solve all these things before it's my kid's turn. So I can at least provide them with some answers that I didn't have when I was growing up. I don't know if that's part of your thought process, but that's just... Absolutely. And um, it's not something I've mentioned, but um, we became a family about six years ago. We adopted our kids. So if if they have different kinds of issues than what I have, it's obviously not genetic because of Mm. my wife and I, we couldn't have kids, but I want to show them that this is important. Like you as a person can do well for yourself and the world. And if you think there is something interesting, whether it's about a a topic you're part of or something you want to to look into or follow a a career path or something just you want to do, or you want to just find out more about yourself, it's okay. Keep going. That actually leads perfectly into my next question, because I just want to ask you, in terms of parents, so like my audience is primarily parents of autistic children. Mm -hmm. What words of wisdom do you think you could share with the parents who are raising this children in terms of any any sort of tips or guidance on what would have maybe helped you growing up? 
I think one of the things it, it's a it's not an easy path. And raising kids is is extremely difficult. Whether you're neurotypical or neurodivergent in some way, no matter how much you want them to be, your kids are never going to be exactly the same as you. They're never going to be the same person. Try to understand that when they get things wrong, even if it's blatantly wrong as just a, a thing that happens or it's something wrong that you just think might be the wrong way to go. It's like, let them, let them be them. Let them figure it out. And you can help them with that. It's important that you help them be a, I hate to say regular person, that sounds very neurotypical, but <laughs> be, a, be a good person. But let them be themselves. Let them find their way. And you can help them do that. If your child is neurotypical, just understand that they're going to have some struggles that maybe you didn't, or maybe their classmates didn't, or things uh, along that line. So you can help them over those those stumbling blocks and barriers and things like that. But they they sometimes they have to figure it out themselves. Maybe they just, like my, my nine-year-old son reads at a high school level already. My middle girl, she probably is the naturally the smartest of our three kids. She is obsessed with language. And our youngest, like I told you before, she's very aware of everything. She might be listening to me right now. I mean, <laughs> she's in the other room. And I, I, I don't doubt that at all, just because she surprised me before. She's got to keep you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and those, those things I'm, I am in awe of because I don't like to read that much. Not like my son does. And he's obsessed with it. And my, my middle girl is obsessed with language. Like I, I, she's probably going to be one of those people that, that's fluent in nine languages just because she wants to be. Our youngest is hilarious. She is a prankster and a jokester since she was a baby. And some of these things I'm like, I can see, even though they're, they're adopted, I can see my wife and my personality in these kids. They're learning a lot from us, but they have their own life too. It's a delicate balance. It's hard juggling act, but it's, it's worth it. It's amazing to see these little humans. Absolutely. I think raising kids, you know, there's so much complexity to it. So it's always interesting to get people's perspectives because everybody has a very different perspective. We're wrapping up here, but I want to ask you, as you know, the name of this podcast is Embracing Autism. Mm -hmm. And I like to ask people their opinions on what they think that term means to them. So to you specifically in an ideal world, what would embracing autism look like? What would that mean? Just no, no stigma about it. With a lot of people, they still think autism is this disease. They still think that there's there, there should be some cure for it or that the really awful argument of, oh, vaccines cause autism. Like, no, stop that. Autism is a part of who you are. And it's it's part of your brain, which means it is who you are. Instead of thinking that this is something wrong, look at it as this is something just different. Every autistic person I've met so far is astonishingly good at something. Instead of trying to make them better at everything else, why not focus on this thing that makes them unique, that makes them special, and use that, include it. Don't look at autism as something that needs to be fixed. It's not something that we chose. It's not something that I chose, but I know what I'm really good at, and I know what I'm not good at, and that's okay. I, I know neurotypical people who are really bad at things, and sometimes it's hard not to judge, but everybody is their own person. And it shouldn't be a bad thing to just be autistic. And I, I want to own that. I want people to look and the people who go, really? You're autistic? And I go, this is what autism looks like. There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing right 
about it either. There's nothing normal, but this is this is what it can be. Yes. I, I know from a lot of conversations that I've had with like parents of autistic children, one of the most frustrating comments that they get all the time is like, oh, really? They don't look autistic. And the parents exactly. are always like, what does that mean? That doesn't yeah. mean anything. Where are you getting this from? It's not like looking at someone and they have black hair or blonde hair, or they have dark skin or light skin, or they're short or they're tall. It, it's the, the, the pilot inside my head is just a little off, just a little yeah. different than yours. I feel like the only way you could see autism is like with an fMRI or something. Maybe, yeah. maybe even not. Who knows? Is there anything else that you would like to share that I may not have perhaps given you the opportunity to share? To, to sort of reiterate to people that it's okay to be autistic. I think it's awesome, actually. Since I've been on this process, I, I think it's really cool. And I know that it's not the same for everybody. I know that some things are going to be a lot harder for other people. I know that some things are going to be a lot easier for other people, but it's not something to be ashamed of, whether mm -hmm. it's something you have or a child or a parent or a loved one or a friend or something like that's something that I'm still learning myself, to be honest, is um, I've known a lot of autistic people in my life, I've realized. One of our best friends is autistic. My wife and I helped run a bicycle camp in the summer for special needs children and young adults to learn how to ride bicycles that these, these, these people may not ever be able to get a driver's license. But if they can ride a bike, that gives them a certain measure of freedom. And there's Downs kids and, and CF and, and uh, neurodivergent and autistic and things like that. And it really struck me as, as I go through this process, I go, oh my gosh, these are, those are my people. It, this, is, this is something that I love to do and I can help. And not only am I just helping, but I can relate to these people. That's and amazing. Uh, it just, Sorry, it, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, but it, I just no, want to call that fine. out. Like I, I've it, never heard of such a program, but that's a really amazing idea. I I really appreciate that you're doing that. I, I hope she doesn't mind me saying her name. Uh, now that I say it, I'm actually wearing the, the, the sweater oh, right now. Oh, is that but, what that um, is? Bike first? Bike first. Okay. The lady who runs it, her name is Anne. And I, I live in the Portland, Oregon area. I live in Gresham, so we do it locally here. But I know there are some other camps around the, the, the country who do things like this. To just see that, not only in myself, but in other people, I say, it's, it's not a problem. It's not, this isn't something wrong with anybody. And I, in the computer jargon, you probably have heard this. It, they say, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, this is, there's nothing wrong with how I am. This is how I am. This is how we are. And I think that's okay. Yeah, I think that's really positive note to end this on. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm going to look more into your Bike First program because that looks mm. really cool. I just wanted to just ask you where our followers can listen to your follow you online. Do you have any social medias or anywhere they can reach you? I'm primarily on Facebook. My personal Facebook is Nathan.Halquist. And I, I also have a Facebook page where I do a lot of autism, ADHD, neurodivergent stuff. It's called At Divergent Dad. The, the full title of the page is Adventures of a Divergent Dad. It's, it's just fun. It's just kind of a fun thing for me. I also have created some sort of silly, funny t-shirts on uh, Tee Public, T-E-E -E Public. And um, my page there is called Neurodivergent HQ. And HQ in this, uh, in this aspect doesn't stand for headquarters. It stands, it's a nickname for my last name. It's Hallquist. That's clever. <laughs> my wife, my wife goes by Miss HQ at school, and I was Mister HQ there for. Uh, I, I guess I still am, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still are technically. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, 
Um, if, if anybody wants to follow me on my uh, Divergent Dad page, I'll post links for um, the t-shirts and anything else I find interesting. So yeah, so they can find everything you mentioned here. They just follow you and hopefully they'll find links to this stuff. Yeah. And like I said before, if, if you think you're autistic, if you think you're neurodivergent, keep going. It's okay. You might be judged, but you shouldn't judge yourself. Make yourself whole. Like they say, live your best life. And on that positive note, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. I love hearing stories like yours, and I really wish you the best of luck on your journey of self-discovery. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me on. This is, it was unexpected, but this is the the best thing. I, I loved it. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye. This has been Embracing Autism IRL, our video spinoff series. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at autismwish. That's youtube.com slash the at symbol autismwish to watch this video interview and others every month. And don't forget to click that notification bell to be alerted of new live streams and content. For updates, events, and live Q&As, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at autismwish. If you need support, don't forget to join our monthly virtual parent support group. You can find this and other resources on our website at www.autismwish.org slash resources. If you'd like to leave us a voice message for a chance to hear it in a future episode, drop us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash embracing autism. Tune in next week as we follow up this episode with another Embracing Autism IRL audio podcast. In next week's episode, we follow up the topic of self-diagnosis in an interview with Thomas McKean, one of the original creators of the Autism Puzzle Piece ribbon, and discuss why he believes self-diagnosis is harmful. This is Embracing Autism.